0: This is the Mutual Audio Network. Shut up and listen.
1: The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance.
2: Once again, Decoder Ring Theater presents another page from the casebook of that master of mystery, that sultan of sleuthing, Martin Bracknell's immortal detective, Black Jack Justice, starring Christopher Mott as Jack... And Andrea Lyons as Trixie Dixon, Girl Detective.
1: The name's Dixon. Trixie Dixon, Girl Detective. Folks have had an awful lot to say about law over the years. They say that law is order, and good law is good order. That's fair enough, I suppose, even if it's oversimplified to the point of being meaningless. In a world where good is as open to interpretation as it is in our broken-down little corner of the cosmos... Anyone and anything is good in someone's eyes, and less than good in millions of others. When somebody wins, somebody else loses, and it's rarely much more fair than that. But in the big bad city Jack and I called home, whether we cared to admit it or not, there was one fellow you could usually count on for a brand of order that appealed to us. He wasn't the commissioner or the chief, and he probably never would be. But he had a keen sense of irony as a form of natural law, And he wasn't above resting an oversized thumb on the scales of justice from time to time. Police Lieutenant Sabian. Sabian was a world-class pain in the neck, but he was a good cop, in that entirely subjective sense of the word. He generally helped us out of a jam, willingly or no, and he didn't take us into custody half as often as we deserved. This we found good. Somebody once said, law stands mute in the midst of arms. I was never completely clear on what that meant... But it was painted over the blackboard in the exclusive school for wayward girls the state was kind enough to put me up in for three semesters in response to a string of petty b for which I will maintain to my dying day I was framed Law stands mute in the midst of arms Whoever wrote that had never met Sabian He'd never stood mute a day in his life
2: Nelson! Coming, Lieutenant! How long ago did I ask you for that report? Uh, well, gee, Lieutenant, <laughs> let's see, it's 10.30 now. Nelson? Yes, sir? Just give me the report. Oh, right, here <laughs> you go. Uh-oh. <sighs> Christmas.
0: It's all right, Lieutenant, I'll, I'll have them sorted out in just a minute.
2: Just keep it down, all right?
0: Yes, sir, just, uh, you could just move your foot for a minute. Shut up! Yes, sir.
2: All right, where was I before the circus came to town? Before the what? Shut up. But you asked me... It was a rhetorical question.
0: Sure, but you're the one who asked it. What? I figure, who am I to judge if the good lieutenant's questions are a little rhetorical? Hawthorne.
2: Yeah? Shut up. Yes, sir. Now, let me see if I've got this straight. Mr. Hawthorne. If I were holding a police report in my hand just now... I'm almost finished. It would tell me that two officers found you in a warehouse space in which you had never been before... That is correct. Shut up. And which you, in fact, only entered shortly before their arrival to get out of the rain... Yes. Shut up. But which is rented for some reason under the name Frederick Josiah Hawthorne Esquire. Oh, and which contained, unbeknownst to yourself, 36 crates of rye whiskey, crates whose lot numbers exactly match with a shipment that went missing from the train depot not three days ago. Well?
0: Well, what? You got nothing to say? You keep telling me to shut up.
2: Oh, Christmas. Nelson! What was that?
0: I'm all right, Lieutenant. I just... I just hit my head a little. On the table.
2: I'm... I'm just going to sit down here for a minute, good Godfrey, one of these days, no court in the land would convict me. I've said that
0: a few times. It's usually not as true as you might think. Talkin! I know
2: I know shut up, no, no, not shut up. you're going to start talking, and you're not going to stop until I say so. You're not bright enough to hijack that shipment yourself, but you're going to tell me who you were holding it for, and you're going to
3: tell me right now! Freddy, don't say another word. Justice! In the flesh. Nelson! got! Oh. <laughs> Just a minute, Lieutenant. Sabian? Yeah? Why is Nelson under the table? There are papers down there. He's been on the force ten years, and he's not housebroken? What do you want, Justice? Is that coffee fresh?
2: You just stopped by the interrogation room for a cup of coffee.
3: No, but while in Rome. hey, Freddie.
2: Jackie boy, am I ever glad to see you. Hawthorne is kind of in the middle of something at the moment, Justice, or maybe you hadn't
3: noticed. Well, if you had Nelson outside instead of under the table, you might not get all of these interruptions. Man alive, anyone could just walk in here. Who do I see to register a complaint about this coffee? He's under the table just now. How you doing, Nelson? Oh, Hi, Mr. Justice. I'll be... I'll be all right in a minute. You know, if you run a little white vinegar through this pot, you'll clean off all that sediment and get a cleaner taste.
2: Oh, thanks. I'll try that. If you're through with the tips from the happy homemaker, Justice... I'm through if Nelson's through. Uh, yeah. I'm good. What do you want, Justice? Him. Me? You. Oh, no. Hawthorne was about to tell me who he was holding the hijacked booze for. Well, if that's all that's holding things up. Freddy? Well, you see, Lieutenant Sabian, my brother-in-law Marty... This is the same brother-in-law Marty that was behind the newspaper
3: scam last year? And who later turned out to have died in the war?
2: Jackie, maybe stop helping me so much. You want to lie to me, Hawthorne, that's your business. But at least have the basic respect not to use the exact same lie you've been caught in before.
3: Sorry, Lieutenant. It's tough to keep track. Maybe Nelson can work out some flowcharts for you.
2: Uh, yeah. Just give me a minute. Justice, believe it or not, this
3: was actually
2: going a little smoother before you sauntered in. So saunter back out and do it double time,
3: would you? Uh, listen, Sabian. I've got a proposition for you. Oh, hello, Nelson. Feeling better? Uh, sure. <laughs> Here's that report you wanted, Lieutenant.
2: Thank you, Nelson. I'm just going to sit down over here for a minute. Justice, I'm not interested in any proposition because you don't have anything
3: I want more than the names that Hawthorne's about to give me. But he's not going to give them to you, Lieutenant, because you and I both know that Freddy's a natural-born coward. It's probably true, (laughs) but you still shouldn't say it. He'll squawk eventually, for the very same reason, but not before every single one of them disappears into the woodwork and leaves him holding the bag. So you've recovered the stolen property, and you've got a pigeon that's barely involved, and that's all you're gonna get, and we both know it. So what do you
2: have that beats going through the motions?
3: The Connolly Diamond. The Connolly? You've got the Connolly Diamond? Not yet, but I will have. And for that, I need my dear old informant, Freddy the Finger Hawthorne, free and at my side. That's the most rhetorical thing I ever heard. What? Skip it. What's your interest? A four-figure retainer from the Connolly's insurance company. Insurance work? You're moving up in the world. Well, we've had some good press lately, and obviously they're a little desperate. Obviously.
2: The city's being turned stem to stern looking for that ice cube. Every fence in the jurisdiction's been pulled in for questioning.
3: Searches at the airport, the train station. And yet here you are, sitting working a warehouse caper. A petty theft. 24 hours after the biggest jewel heist anyone can remember. Yeah... Commissioner's heading this one up himself. The commissioner's a politician. Don't push my buttons. What makes you think you can pull this off? An abiding faith in the power of dumb luck. What do you got to lose? We bring in the Connolly Diamond and you drop the charges against Freddy. Sound fair? Almost. Nelson? Yes, Lieutenant? Get yourself in
2: some plain clothes. You are to accompany Mr. Justice and aid him in his investigation. I am? He is. And in the process, you will keep an eye on Mr. Hawthorne. If he fails to do all that he can to aid us in the recovery of said Connolly Diamond, you will bring him back to face the original charges. I will? He will. And now, gentlemen, if you will do me the very great favor of getting as far out of my sight as humanly possible.
1: And that, gentles all, is where a certain devilishly alluring yet... Brilliant young girl detective enters the story. Even if I do say so myself. I beg your pardon. I was feeling my oats that morning. Feeling, I said, not sewing, and the fact that the two were often related doesn't make the latter any more of your business. I've always liked cops. Well, generally, anyway. I like the uniforms and the low slung nightsticks. But mostly what I liked was the way they all sat up on their haunches like a dog outside a butcher's window when I strutted into police headquarters. They were, to a man, entirely too full of their own sense of honor and propriety to say or do anything lurid or uncalled for. But boy, oh boy, did they want to. And this conflict left them confused and disoriented enough that I could easily pass right by them and into Sabian's inner sanctum. Good morning, sunshine. (sighs) What? Nice to see that the state of law and order is in such balance that you can nap in the middle of the day, Lieutenant. Dixon? The fact that you're not sure that it's really me suggests that you've had at least one dream about me, Sabian. Mm. Which makes me uncomfortable. A little curious, but mostly uncomfortable.
2: If you could just give me a minute before you launch in at full banter. No
1: time, precious. The whole city's up in arms over the Connolly Diamond, and here you are, sleeping through your lunch.
2: I'm not in the case. You ought to know that.
1: Why should I know that?
2: Is that percolator still on?
1: I will pour you a cup, if only to toy with whatever domestic fantasies you are enjoying.
2: You're full of sass today. You don't know the half of it. See that I don't, would you?
1: This coffee doesn't look quite right. Don't
2: you start. (laughs) Gimme. Hot pickles and
1: tar! Well, that's kind of an original curse. I like it.
2: That's what this tastes like. Apparently, it didn't occur to Nelson to throw the vinegar away after he ran it
1: through vinegar in the coffee pot. Has Jack been here?
2: You know he has. That's where Nelson is.
1: Where Nelson is what? <laughs> I miss pushing past him on the way in. My little finger needs the exercise.
2: Nice. I sent Nelson out with your partner.
1: Nelson? Why?
2: To keep an eye on Hawthorne.
1: Hawthorne? You didn't let him walk out of here with Freddy, did you?
2: Why exactly is any or all of this news to you? I thought you two were working for the Connolly's Insurance Company.
1: The Connelly's? Is that what he told you? What's that? And you believed him?
2: Dixon, it's pretty clear that I'm about to be very, very angry. In the interest of my shooting the right person, could you begin at the beginning?
1: The Connolly Diamond is worth about 200 grand, Bright Eyes. In addition to just about every other law enforcement agent in the city, they do have a detective firm working for them. Braithwaite's. (sighs) You don't think we're in line for a top drawer job like that. I'm gonna kill him. But there's also a reward out. And Jack seemed to think that sounded like a perfectly legitimate pursuit, especially since our dance card is otherwise empty.
2: For a change.
1: As you say. With half the force and the biggest spit and polish agency in town already out beating the bushes, it seemed like a waste of time. But he seemed so darn sure of himself. Well, before I knew what was happening, it turned into a bet. And since Jack never bets without cheating, and has a touching degree of faith in Freddy the Finger... Let me
2: guess... You were the anonymous tip that led us to Hawthorne's warehouse.
1: Sure. I was pretty sure you'd find something, and that whatever it was, it'd hang Freddy up long enough to set Jack back to square one. At least until I could figure out what he thinks he knows that I don't. I didn't count on you letting school out early so you could catch a few Z's.
2: Sorry to disappoint. I'll make it up to you by shooting your partner. Shoot,
1: Schmoot. That's just going to make him mad. You really want to get your own back? You and me are going out on the town, Bright Eyes.
2: What's the rumpus?
1: We're going to find the Connolly Diamond Sabian. We're going to find it before the Commissioner, before Braithwaite's, and most of all, we're going to find it before Jack.
2: You are listening to Black Jack Justice from Decoderringtheater.com.
1: It's one thing to make a bold declaration, quite another thing to follow it up. A dozen fellas in powdered wigs can sign a piece of paper and claim to throw off foreign tyranny. But if you don't have the stomach to spend a few years firing a musket in the general direction of anyone who objects, you should probably save your cab fare. And yes, I'm aware I'm mixing my metaphors. A certain writer who shall remain Shakespeare once suggested taking arms against a sea of troubles, and he didn't have a mystery to solve. So stick that in your pantaloons. The point is that there were literally hundreds of investigators, public and private, professional and jack, already hot on the trail of Mrs. Connolly's golf ball-sized diamond. And every single one of them had a head start on Lieutenant Victor Aloysius Sabian and I. But we had an ace of our own. Spite. Good, old-fashioned, healthy, all-American spite. And yeah, you heard me right. Aloysius. But you didn't hear it from me.
2: Alright, this is what I got.
1: That doesn't look like much of a case file.
2: I told you, I'm not on this case. This is the best I can come up with.
1: Preliminary report from the insurance agent. Statement from the servants who discovered the stone was missing. Statement from the old lady herself. A press release. Sabian, this is thin.
2: It's an active investigation, Dixon, and I wasn't invited to the party.
1: And that doesn't stick in your craw just a little? What if it does? It obviously doesn't. Not enough for you to bust your way in there and grab us some up-to-the-minute intel. I arranged for the arrest of a well-meaning pawn in old Square Jaw's long game, and then hoofed it all the way over here to ruin your day with less motivation.
2: Wait a minute. What was this bet? That doesn't matter. It does to me. The reward we know you can both use. Exactly what does he get if he wins that you don't want him to have?
1: I have to wear a skirt to work every Tuesday for a month. That's it? It's not a very long skirt, Sabian. Not very long at all.
2: Tuesdays, huh? Excuse me while I circle my desk calendar. Dream on,
1: Flatfoot. Or rather don't, it's still slightly disturbing.
2: And if you win?
1: He has to take out my cousin Irma.
2: Irma? This is the one with the... face?
1: I'd knock your teeth in for that if it weren't the kindest way it's ever been put. Look, the point is, he'll be obnoxious if he wins. And he lied to you. And they left you off this case. All
2: right, call off the dogs, Dixon. I'm still mad. i just like to know who's playing me and why. Ah,
1: uh, what does it matter? We're hours behind the curve. We've got no access to the physical evidence, and we don't know what Jack's up to. True or false, we'd be better informed if we read the morning papers.
2: Dixon, that's it. You're kidding. I'm really not. What was Justice doing just before he started shooting his mouth off?
1: Reading the... Papers.
2: The gazette's in the wastebasket. The dispatch is here, behind the chair.
1: Sapien, this is brilliant. We don't have to find the stone. We just have to find out what Jack thinks he knows and beat him to the punch.
2: That's more or less it. Yeah. Got it. Got it. The world of high society was shaken late last night as word spread the famous Connolly diamond. Yada yada. The stone
1: was discovered missing after servants responding to the alarm given by guard dogs found the display case cut open.
2: The perpetrator of this terrible crime may himself have been wounded in the process of escape. Several shots were fired by quick-thinking groundskeepers, and blood was found near the top of the high stone wall that surrounds... See page nine.
1: Police arrived quickly upon the scene, personally led by the commissioner, pictured above... Temper... Investigating officers found several articles left behind by the thief. Reports vary, but all include a torn fragment of clothing near the high wall and a small glass cutter.
2: Got a picture of the cutter here.
1: Sabian, that's it. What is? That's the page that Jack was reading just before he started shooting his mouth off. And that's the only picture on it. So? So a picture's worth a thousand words. Especially for Jack. He can think better when his lips aren't moving. Let me see that.
2: Be my guest.
1: I've never seen a glass cutter like that.
2: No, it's an old one, all right. There was something in this file about it. Uh, here it is. Uh, made by an English company. Never sold over here. They don't make them anymore. Apparently the factory was shut down by the Luftwaffe and never opened up again.
1: I think Flattop knew that?
2: Mm-hmm. He was stationed in England for about six months, from what I've gathered. It would be like him to absorb a little local color while he was there. What are you getting at?
1: Our burglar had to figure that even if everything had gone right, he'd have had trouble moving a stone like this locally. The cops are dragging in every Tom, Dick, and Harry that ever bought a hot rock for questioning. And the feds have the major routes out of town locked off. They're searching everyone. So? So I don't think Jack wanted Freddy for a walking tour of reliable fences in the area. That's too much ground to cover and it's too well trod. But there are only so many places where an out-of-towner can reasonably expect to go to ground and stay there, no questions asked for a good long while till the heat dies down, and he can wing it back to Blighty.
2: And most of those places an out-of-towner would never find.
1: Right. But those places live and die by being able to keep a secret, and by not talking to the law, or its close cousin in a cheap suit. But a well-known, well-liked, occasional underworld weasel like Freddy just might be able to get a point in the right direction.
2: So Justice sees the picture in the paper recognizes the glass cutter as English, figures well everybody and his uncle is looking for the stone, he'll look for the man, and in a pretty narrow range of places, too.
1: And if our burglar was winged by the groundskeeper, he'd be sticking close to home. Unless it was too bad.
2: Which it obviously isn't, since
3: he hasn't turned up at any of the hospitals.
1: Which means he might actually be onto something. Now we just need to beat him to the punch.
3: The name's Justice. Jack Justice. I'm a private detective. In layman's terms, that means I take educated guesses and wild hunches based on experience and trade them for money. And every so often, someone breaks my nose for my trouble. That's not so bad. The pay is a joke, and the hours are lousy, but there's a certain je ne sais quoi to it all. You can stand apart from the madding crowd, wear your hat at a rakish angle, chew a gaudy metaphor in the middle of the day, be in the world and yet not of the world, as they say. And this world was bad enough that there was a certain iconoclastic pride to be had in being as distant a relation as possible. Every so often I am forced to admit that it helps to have another set of hands around, from time to time. Someone to explain things to, which often gives a guy a nice cover while he figures out what happens next. To this end, I generally employ a certain leggy girl detective. Not only can she fill this function, but she's got more under her hat than a hairdo, and she can handle herself in a scrap... "'even if I make darn sure she doesn't think that I think so. "'Not that I begrudge the kid her charms, "'just that she works twice as hard "'when she thinks she's got something to prove, "'and that often means I don't have to. "'But every so often it was just good business "'to show her exactly who wears "'the badly wrinkled pants around here. "'When you've got a sure thing, uh, "'or at least a solid lead, "'or in this case a pretty decent hunch "'of where to start throwing punches, "'well, sometimes it just pays to run with it and go solo.' "'just to keep her on her toes. "'Today, however, going solo did not so much mean me, myself, and I "'as it did me, Curly, and Mo. "'I was saddled with not one but two "'of the most generally useless operatives a fella could have on the job. "'Freddy the Finger was my pick and therefore my fault. "'But he was my in, "'just shady enough to get an answer out of some habitually closed lips "'and just harmless enough that they never thought twice about it. "'But he was a coward at heart,' was old Fred." "'with a bad habit of running on at the mouth when he got nervous. "'And the threat of criminal charges hanging over his head "'should we fail in our fool's errand "'made Freddy very, very nervous. "'The moe in this little routine was Sergeant Nelson "'of the half-Nelsons. "'This was Sabian's little present to me, "'an idiot savant of an investigator "'unburdened with the pesky savant half of the equation, "'and one who was likely nursing a low-grade concussion "'from this morning's two-step with a table.' All of which suggested that the good lieutenant had no faith in my little errand, but didn't mind milking it for a little free babysitting. I went along with it because for all his faults, Nelson was brave, in a generally bull-headed way, and was the best marksman I'd seen since the war. I figured if I failed to make a detective out of him in Six Easy Lessons or Less, I could always ditch him and proceed in a duo act with Sir Frederick the Valiant. Alas, it was not to be... It didn't take long for us to find a solid lead to what we were looking for. An Englishman arrived in the last week or so, looking for a place to stay, probably paid by the week in advance, in one of the half-dozen dives of the no-and-I-mean-no-questions-asked variety that your average airport cabbie might know of. Big fella in a stained shirt at the third stop on our tour remembered him. Arrived last Thursday. It was raining hard. The limey had balked when asked to sign the register. Didn't quite get the quaint custom on this side of the pond. Pick a name, any name. Just sign the book. Stained shirt seemed reluctant to say more in front of Nelson and I, but he clearly owed Freddy something. Because before retiring behind his racing form, he mentioned that the limey's cab was gone when he got back outside. So it's raining. Hard. And you're in a neighborhood no cabbie is likely to stop in. Where do you flop? Next place you come to. He'd practically drawn us a map. If the Jefferson Palace Hotel was any more under the bridge, it would be run by trolls. The head troll at the desk had been skeptical. Freddy sensed danger, which meant Freddy talked faster. Much too much faster. And I had the decidedly uncomfortable feeling that one of the working girls in the lobby recognized Nelson from the cop shop. I don't know what it was, but I managed to silence the little voice that cried wolf as we hoofed it up to the third floor with a couple of rousing choruses of, We're in the money. I knocked on the door of room 310. The door of room 309 opened behind us, and a shaky-looking customer beckoned us in with a 45. The troll had called ahead to announce us. That was an hour ago. Then things had gotten worse.
0: Listen, mister, this is all a, a, what do you call it, a a misunderstanding, see? No, you listen to me, pal. You're making a very, very serious mistake holding us here. This man does not represent me. I don't know this man. I, I, I don't know anybody. Now be quiet, Freddy, and let me handle this. Freddy? Who's Freddy? I don't know who you mean, stranger. I am a city police officer. Oh, boy. I know I'm out of uniform, but if you look, you'll find my badge in that pocket. Go on. Check the pocket. A cop? A stinking cop? Mister, you can't keep me tied up here with a cop. I I hate cops. That is, if you hate cops. Check the pocket! If you'll just untie me, I'll be on my way. Hawthorne, you're only making things worse. Making things worse? How could they be worse, stranger? Detaining a commissioned officer of the law in the execution of his duties is a serious offense. Look at me. Do I look like a cop? I'm a criminal, like you. Not... Not that I'm suggesting you're a criminal in any way, because I have no specific knowledge of that of any kind. Under section... Well, I don't actually know the particular section off the top of my head. But you can well imagine that it won't be very good for you. Mister, I really need to go to the bathroom.
3: And so it continued. Only, as you might well imagine, it actually got a little more annoying as time went on. I said nothing. Why did it have to be rope? Handcuffs, I was an old hand at slipping out of, but rope was different with every knot. And from the feel of it, our friend had been a sailor once upon a time. He was white as a sheet. I felt for the poor idiot. I don't know why he'd come this far for an ugly yellow rock like the Connolly Diamond, or what he'd planned to do with it when he got it home. He hadn't planned on being rumbled by the dogs, he hadn't planned on being winged by the servants and probably losing a couple of pints of blood in the interval. "'and he certainly hadn't planned on hostages. "'I didn't much care. "'He paced and said nothing. "'I said nothing. "'Nelson and Freddy did all the heavy lifting for the both of us. "'In a rare moment when they were both taking a breath at the same time, "'I asked if he was out of smokes. "'He nodded. "'I gestured towards my front pocket as best I could under the circumstances. "'He took out the pack and offered me one. "'He had the good grace to look mildly sheepish at my failure to reach out my hand.' He lit the cigarette, breathed in heavily and relaxed, just a little. Freddy and Nelson peered at me expectantly. I made my pitch. So things don't look so good for you just now. I'm aware of the irony, so there's no need to point that out, but for the moment we're not talking about me. Kid, I've been up and I've been down, and if I've learned anything in this life, it's when there's no way to win, you play for a tie. My guess is you planned to move last night before the barricades went up and the dragnet went citywide, but you were hurt. Bad luck. The cops and the feds have every way out of this city locked down, and they figure on finding you because they know you'll never leave that rock behind. So that's just what you gotta do. Now, don't get sore. Listen to me. They're watching the trains, and they're watching the airport. You might get a bus to the next town, but they'll search you for sure. They'll find the stone. They'll find it and there's no reason you have to be anywhere near when that happens. You don't look so good, but the arm stop bleeding. It can stand a few hours on a bus, and you can get it looked at before it goes septic. There's no way to win. No happy ending. You and the Connolly diamond riding off into the sunset. Put the stone down on that table and get out of here. Don't look at me like that. I don't give a damn about you. All I want is the reward. This seemed to seal it. This was a motivation he could understand. He spent the next two minutes throwing as much as he could into a satchel. He looked at me. Looked at Freddy, who looked away. Looked at Nelson, who glared back defiantly. He looked back at me. I shook my head. That wasn't the way. He tucked a forty-five in back of his belt, reached in his pocket, and pulled out an ugly hunk of yellow glass. Except it was actually the object of our common affection... He placed it on the table, not three feet away from me, and broke for the door. That's when it all went wrong. Nelson lifted himself up, chair and all, and hurled himself at the limey. The two of them went sprawling, clawing for the forty-five. though what Nelson thought he was going to do with it with his hands tied behind his back I couldn't say. Needless to say, this did not come to pass. Freddy was screaming like a banshee. I was straining at my ropes, pulling the fiendish English sailor knots deeper into my wrists. The Limey came up with the gun, swearing like the sailor I figured him for. He swung it around the room, then back to Nelson, figuring to kill him, then the still screaming Freddy, then me. All this I expected. What I did not expect was the door to be kicked off its hinges and halfway across the room by 220 pounds of broken-down beat cop. I did not expect to hear the voice of the girl detective barking orders from behind the Beretta. Those dirty rats had teamed up and figured out my play. They'd saved my life, and one day I'd figure out how to get even. And as Sabian cuffed the limey, the Connolly diamond, not three feet away from where I still sat tied to the chair, disappeared in the paw of the grinning girl detective. All of which is why I now face an evening of certain doom in the company of Cousin Irma, the dog-faced girl. Which is fine, because I have been drinking for three and one-half hours may not make her pretty but it might make me not care
1: in all the chaos of that flop house room the pistols waving the cursing the cowardly shrieking the thing that i remember the most it was sabian cool as a cucumber police issue 38 outstretched staring down a desperate man with a gun walking right up to him and taking his 45 away like he was taking away a pop gun from a truant boy for a while i couldn't decide if it was brave or stupid then I remembered the blackboard at the reform school. Law stands mute in the midst of arms. Well, Cicero didn't know anything about 38s or 45s, but just maybe he'd met a cop like Sabian. And in this town, it was Sabian's Law.
2: Blackjack Justice Episode 20, Sabian's Law, was written and directed by Greg Taylor and starred Christopher Mott and Andrea Lyons with additional voices provided by Peter Nickel, M. John Kennedy, and Greg Taylor. This recording and the story, characters, and situations depicted within are the property of their author and creator and protected by copyright. Until next time, remember, DecoderRingTheater.com is your address to adventure.
0: Some ladies like to use just a little perfume. Hi. Say, what's that delightful, subtle fragrance gently wafting in the breeze? That's my perfume. Some ladies like to use just a little more perfume. Hi. Oh, phew, open a window. Okay. Then there are the ladies who really know how to wear perfume. Hi. Oh, there goes the wallpaper, some of the fire alarm. Put out Man! For those ladies, there's Parfum in a Drum, 50 gallons of high-octane perfume with handy-spray nozzle. And if you order a week's supply along with a dozen drums, you get a free basting brush. So don't wait to stand out in a crowd. Hand me that chainsaw, Virgil, so I can get through this vapor trail here. Parfum in a Drum, so he can even find you in the dark from a mile away. For your convenience,
1: environmental impact statements are included with every order.